May I ask if you have any treasure? What sort of things do you value most? Yes, this is Search for Truth, and I'm delighted you can join us. Today, your Bible study program teacher, Brian Johnston, examines this topic of stewards of the treasuries in this series called Guarding the Gates. Today's talk is that title, The Stewards of the Treasuries, and once again, Brian will draw lessons to help us faithfully maintain our Christian testimony and so bring God the glory. Our main Bible verses are again taken from First Chronicles and chapter 9 from verse 17 to 26. So let's enjoy hearing about the stewards of the treasuries with Brian. Thanks, John. We're tracing the idea of a threshold in the Bible, and not just any threshold, but the threshold of God's temple or earthly house. One famous psalm seems to make reference to doorkeepers or those who kept the threshold. Psalm 84 famously says in verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Dare I say, what may be a more accurate translation clarifies the situation as this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The sense of the contrast being made seems to demand that the humblest position associated with God's house was preferable to being in the tents of wickedness. To be an official doorkeeper or a keeper of the threshold was a respected and responsible position of trust, so the contrast offered is less striking. The basic idea here is to sit or to stand at the threshold, as if denoting those who barely qualify to be there. So although most likely the actual doorkeeper is not featured in that psalm, we probably have come to associate it, of all scriptures, most readily with the office of the doorkeeper long ago, especially in God's house. However, in this series of studies, our main text is 1 Chronicles chapter 9. Now the gatekeepers were Shalom and Akub and Talmon and Achiman and their relatives, Shalom, the chief being stationed until now at the king's gate to the east. These were the gatekeepers for the camp of the sons of Levi. Shalom, the son of Kore, the son of Ebiasaph, the son of Korah, and his relatives of his father's house, the Korahites, were over the work of the service, keepers of the thresholds of the tent, and their fathers had been over the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. Phineas, the son of Eliezer, was ruler over them previously, and the Lord was with him. Zechariah, the son of Meshelemiah, was gatekeeper of the entrance of the tent of meeting. All these who were chosen to be gatekeepers at the thresholds were 212. These were enrolled by genealogy in their villages, whom David and Samuel the seer appointed in their office of trust. So they and their sons had charge of the gates of the house of the Lord, even the house of the tent, as guards. The gatekeepers were on the four sides to the east, west, north and south. Their relatives in their villages were to come in every seven days from time to time to be with them. For the four chief gatekeepers who were Levites were in an office of trust and were over the chambers and over the treasuries in the house of God. They spent the night around the house of God because the watch was committed to them. These men formed a sacred order from the time of David. 
They guarded the gates of the house of the Lord, closing and opening them at the proper times, so preventing the unclean from entering the sacred enclosure. They also had charge of the sacred vessels and of the freewill offerings, and lived in chambers at the temple. They were Levites and came in from the Levitical villages every seventh day for service in their turn. Their office was honourable, ranking with the the singers after the priests and the Levites. We've already commented on the fact that these keepers of the threshold were said to be in an office of trust. In fact, a literal translation of Jeremiah 52 and verse 24 talks about Seriah, the head priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. It reads there as if, at that time at least, the keepers of the threshold ranked immediately after the high priest and his deputy in the way in which they were viewed by others. This underlines the point that theirs was seen as a responsible position. When Jeremiah the prophet was once asked to demonstrate the integrity of certain people by inviting them to drink wine contrary to their father's command, he says, I brought them to the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, above the chamber of Maaseiah, the son of Shalom, keeper of the threshold. These were quarters so reverenced that none would call into question the unusual activity that was being transacted there. Again, we see another indication of nothing but respect for the keepers of the threshold. By going a little further in our reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 9 this time, we've picked up on yet another element of the duties of those who formerly were known as the keepers of the threshold, namely that they were also the night watchmen of God's house. Nighttime brings its own dangers, with the threat of opportunist or scavenging prowlers, as well as organised surprise attacks by the enemy. Night watchmen had to remain vigilant, straining to detect the first sign of anything that could conceivably threaten the temple within the threshold. There's a famous Bible verse which asks, Watchmen, what of the night? This world is full of dangers to those who watch out for the things of God. We too require vigilance against trends which endanger the lives of God's people and threats to their well-being. From the mythology of the Greeks, the term Trojan horse has become familiar to most. The Greek army had been unable to breach the city of Troy, but what they couldn't achieve by force of arms, they succeeded in doing by subtlety. They retreated from their position surrounding the city, leaving behind, it appeared, the gift of a large wooden horse. Relieved, the inhabitants of the beleaguered city came out to receive their gift and to bring it into their city, which they did. But things were not as innocent as they seemed. The large wooden horse was hollow and Greek soldiers were concealed within it. At an appropriate, unsuspecting moment, they left their hiding place and opened the gates of the city to allow the rest of their returning army to enter. So the term Trojan horse has come to describe anything which at first sight appears innocent in itself, even desirable and welcomed by us, and seemingly free from any apparent threat, but which, on the contrary, if invited into our lives, 
contains within it the power to do significant damage. Some who were once secure in their faith have ended up making shipwreck of it after entertaining what has seemed initially to be an acceptable or compatible secular idea. This has happened to people who began to accommodate contemporary ideas on the inspiration of the Bible, or the Bible's account of origins, or the resurrection of Christ, or something else fundamental like that. We must be so careful with the ideas which we entertain, and we must screen them and filter them thoroughly against all of biblical truth. For ideas have consequences, and the consequences can prove to be far more far-reaching than we at first suspect. God's house, with all its holy preciousness to God, requires diligence on our part to ensure it's kept clear of corrupting influences from our secular surroundings. But it doesn't have to be an intellectual idea which we allow to enter our minds for it to become our undoing. We might also adopt a behaviour or practice which at first sight seems innocent enough. Surely there's no harm in it, we say. But it has often proved to be the case that one thing leads to another. Once the principle of integrity has been compromised, we're on a slippery slope. The Bible often uses the description, the night, with spiritual overtones. During the story of the betrayal of our Lord, we read that Judas went out, and it was night. That's not only telling us the time of the day, it's a masterful literary touch, which equally alluded to the character of the foul deed that Judas was initiating at that very moment. In the Apostle Paul's writings, he warns Christians concerning sins which are characteristic of the night, the world's dark night, the spiritual darkness which is the result of rejecting the light of God's revelation. How dark is the understanding which has willfully shut out the knowledge of God? There's no doubt that this is a darkening world. Are we fulfilling our night watchman duties as keepers of the threshold by remaining alert to the dangers of the night? When Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, and in that first letter of his to them, he finishes every single chapter with some mention of the return of Christ. In the fifth chapter, he warns of the coming night, which will fully engulf this world after Christ has taken away from it his church, being all who are believers on himself. Paul says, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and hope, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation.
As I said earlier, here's a reminder of how you can receive a transcript book of all the talks in this series. It's available online and you can obtain it by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Alternatively, you can write to us and request a hard copy book. Just ask for the title, Guarding the Gates. And by the way, don't forget to include your own postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that most titles of Search for Truth transcript books have been turned into ebooks, and they're available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle hyphen ebooks. And when you're in the Kindle store, just type Search for Truth Brian Johnston into the field and you'll find them. Many can also be ordered as conventional print books from Amazon Bookstore or from your own bookstore at www.hayespress.org and use Explore Our Shop. Once again, it's been a great joy to enjoy the pleasure of your company. Thanks for giving your time to be with us. And if it's at all possible, I'd love you to join us next time. But until then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. More.